people of God in Christ this morning as we continue in the book of Romans and come now to Romans 10, verses 14 to 21. Let's start by thinking about the chains of reactions that we live with and benefit from in our lives. A chain of reaction is the term that we use to refer to how one thing leads to the next thing and how that thing leads to the next and the next leads to something further until you arrive at the point of it all. Uh, The most basic illustration of this comes by way of backing up and considering the metaphor itself, a a chain. Uh, There are multiple links in a chain as force is applied to the very first link So that link applies force to the next link and then to the next and the next and the next after that until finally the the force applied to the very first link gets passed along to the final link and and to the whole thing and and the task for which the chain is being employed. Of course, all of this happens very quickly and we don't even think about it and uh, uh and yet, that is indeed, I think, you recognize the logic of it. It's how it works, how a chain works. Another illustration is uh, how you turn on the faucet in your house and uh, water comes out. Uh, we take that for granted, do we not? Uh, we didn't have to pump the handle on a pump. Uh, we didn't have to walk to the creek or the spring like they used to have to do. Uh, so consider the, the links in the chain. Uh, consider the causes and effects along the way. Uh, first, the water has to be pumped from the ground. Then it has to be pressurized within a, a system of pipes. Then it has to enter the system of pipes within your house so that finally it can come flowing out of your faucet. Of course, as Christians who acknowledge our Creator God, we we need to add some earlier causes, right? Uh, With God Himself as the original cause. First, God had to have created the water. Then then He uh, has preserved His creation over thousands of years. Then the water had to be pumped from the ground, pressurized, delivered to your house, managed within your house's plumbing, uh, only then to flow from whatever faucet you choose to turn on in the house. Another illustration is how children advance uh, from one grade to the next. Uh, Here we we are during summer vacation for our students. Uh, Each of them has finished one grade and is uh, ready to start the next. Uh, There is a cause and effect, a chain of reaction within the education of our children. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in, in, in Romans 10, starting in verse 14, that there is a, a, a chain of reaction, a, a series of causes and effects. And all of this is based upon the great promise that, that we find in verse 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember, we we pointed out last time that there are any number of things that we might ask of God and and hear Him say no, or perhaps not yet. Uh, My ways are eternal, and your ways are set within time, so wait on me for 
my blessings. But here is the one request that any sinner can make of God, and that sinner will receive it instantly. Salvation comes by faith, and by faith alone, so so that at the very point of faith, in the moment of, of new faith, even as one calls upon God to be saved, they are saved. But... And someone might say, ah, yes, I, I knew there was a but. <laughs> I knew it, it couldn't be that easy for me. But that's not Paul's point. Having proclaimed the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, no exceptions, he only adds this, well, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him? And in who, or of whom they have not heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So can we hear it? It's a, it's a chain, a, a chain of reaction, a, a, a series of causes and effects. No one can be saved apart from faith, but no one can believe unless they hear the gospel and receive the knowledge of Christ. So let's start with the necessity of faith. First point this morning is the necessity of faith. The Apostle Paul has has been putting a clear emphasis on the sovereignty of God in salvation. In other words, God will save those whom he will save. This is stated outright in in Exodus 3 when God was meeting with Moses and, and declared, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so Paul, preaching the scriptures of God, quotes the same in Romans 9, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Paul's point is God's own point that he owes mercy and compassion to no one. And yet he has mercy, and he shows compassion beyond obligation. So if God has mercy and shows compassion to one and not to another, then there is a certain severity in that, we can admit, or sternness from God, but there is certainly no injustice in God. So what should be our response? Uh, should we say, uh, okay, well, if, 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 if God uh, will save me, then, then he'll save me. But if not, then he will not. Well, if we say that, if we respond in that rather cavalier way, well, then we, we have not understood how urgently we need salvation if the building is on fire, if the siren is blaring because the, the tornado is coming, you don't sit around saying, I wonder if I have been predestined by God to survive this danger. Instead, you get out of the building <laughs> in the case of a fire, or, or you take shelter in the basement in the, in the case of, of the storm coming. 
Anyone who uses the sovereignty of God in salvation to sit and do nothing clearly isn't convinced of the coming just judgment of God. When one is convinced of the coming judgment of God and hears that there is salvation in Jesus Christ, that sinner will get out. That sinner will take shelter, even as they also hear that escape and shelter are indeed found in Jesus Christ, even that Jesus himself is the escape and the shelter that we all so desperately need. So what we're talking about here is the necessity of faith. It has previously been made clear that God is sovereign, that he saves whom he will save. It it has already been made clear that faith is is the gift of God. Uh, It it is a wrong idea that God does 90% or even 99% or even 99.9% of what is needed for salvation and leaves the last part of it, namely faith, up to the sinner. Instead, God in Christ does it all, so that faith itself is the product, the fruit of Christ's finished work. To say that Christ accomplished our salvation is to say that, well, Christ accomplished our salvation so that we understand that even the faith by which we are saved is the result of Christ's work to save us. And yet it certainly comes down to faith. Do you have faith? Are you willing to repent and believe in Jesus Christ to be saved? If not, then hopefully you have more time to change your mind and, and, and your will, or, or equally uh, for God to change your mind and your will. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe you don't have more time. Not a pleasant thought, but there is an urgency that is always there because we don't know. Is that new ache somewhere in your body a cancer that has begun to grow? Will we even survive the trip home at the end of this service? We don't know. We don't know. So the urgency is always there to believe The call of God's word is always there to believe, along with the promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And so let us not delay. Let us not doubt that the storm is coming and that the fire has already been kindled and that we must believe if we would be saved. There are several places in Scripture where we we see sinners responding to the urgency of salvation. In in Acts 2, uh, on the very day of Pentecost, as the Spirit is poured out, uh, Peter doesn't just preach, for God so loved the world. Instead, he says, "You, you miserable people, you crucified your own Messiah. And, and he was not exempting himself because he had denied his Messiah three times, leaving his Messiah to go to the cross alone. But the Spirit's work, by the, by the same work of the Spirit that moved the apostles to preach, 
By their preaching, the people were cut to the heart and they cried out, what shall we do? On one hand, it's, it's an understandable question. What shall we do? Every sinner really does know they, that they cannot escape from, from the understanding that there, is, that there is something that must be done. And, and that the thing to be done is the sinner's own responsibility. But on the other hand, the thing to be done has been done. Leaving the sinner only to believe it to believe that it indeed has been done. So what is faith? It's an important question. It's a, it's a crucial question. If salvation comes by faith, and even by faith alone, we better know what faith is so that we can do it. But right away we have a problem. If, if we think that faith is what we do, our contribution to the equation of salvation, we might call it. So we need to hear the call of the gospel, which, which is really to do nothing. Do we understand this, that the call of the gospel, the, the call to faith is to do nothing because there is nothing left to be done. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, because there is still 10% or even 1% left for you to do. He didn't say, I have done most of it. I have given you a head start. Uh, I have primed the pump to increase your chances. He said, come and sit down. Come and rest. Come and do nothing. So that by the very act of doing nothing, you will be saved. I don't know why, but I love this metaphor. That if you're sitting in a chair in a room, and someone comes in and says, hey, what are you doing? And you say, oh, nothing, just sitting here. That's a contradiction. Nothing, just sitting here. As you are sitting there, there is a sense in which you are certainly doing nothing. But even as you are sitting and doing nothing, yet you are still sitting, right? And sitting is doing something. So when you say that you are doing nothing by sitting, you are actually contradicting yourself. Why do you think, and and, and why do we think this way? Why, why do we think that sitting is doing nothing? Well, it's because we're so focused on ourselves and on what we do for ourselves. And this is why the gospel is so hard for us to understand. It's pride. It's, a, it's self-focus. Faith is sitting. Faith is resting in Jesus Christ and relying upon his work for us. So is faith doing something? Yes. But what are you doing by believing in Christ? We are resting. We are trusting in him. We are trusting that what he did by his obedience is our salvation. By his perfect life 
and his death on the cross. And by his resurrection from the dead, we are saved. And so we rest. So if any of this is helping you, uh, maybe, maybe it has irked some of you because you, you still want to be able to do something, to contribute something to your salvation. But, but if any of this has helped you, then you can understand the next point, the necessity of preaching. Here I am preaching to you. Here I am explaining to you who God is, who Jesus is, who you are as a sinner, and how you can be saved. Now, I, I don't mean to exalt myself. I, I'm sure you could, you could have read this passage uh, within the full context of God's Word and, and figured this out on your own, or maybe not. The Apostle Paul writes, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that's the gospel. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And, and, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that's me, by the way. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? chain of reaction. Can we not hear it? Here, here is the series of causes and effects that, uh, uh, that, that is set in place. Uh, salvation is by faith, but faith requires knowledge. You can't believe in something that you don't know and don't understand. So salvation by faith, faith by knowledge and understanding, and knowledge and understanding by preaching, and, and preaching by a preacher being sent to preach. So going forward, rather than in reverse, as Paul does, sending, preaching, hearing, faith, salvation. And Paul is certainly talking about himself and the other apostles who have brought the good news of Jesus Christ to establish the church in Rome. The beautiful feet that Paul mentions are the rapid feet, the, the eager feet, the the feet of the messenger who is bringing good news. The understanding here is that uh, when the watchman sees someone coming, uh, a messenger, and they are running, or are they just walking and plodding their way to the city? And so the messenger can tell ahead of time whether it's going to be good news or bad news. If it's bad news, then the messenger is, is not running, but taking his time because he's not all that eager to get there and have to deliver the, the bad news. But if it's good news, then the messenger is, is running quickly, eager to deliver the good news, eager to be rewarded for bringing good news because the messenger is often scorned for his bad news. Don't kill the messenger. You've heard that expression. But the messenger is rewarded for his good news, even though it's not his, his, it's not his decision to say whether he has good news or bad news. It's, it's news that's given to him. But if he has good news, then he's eager. And he's ready. And he's quick on his feet. And so... His feet are beautiful. 
So we have good news to tell. And, and so let our feet be beautiful. When they see us coming, let them see a smile on our face. Let them see um, a demeanor of joy in our lives. Let them know that we have good news. And the difference is really life and death. Those headed for death and hell can pretend that all is well, but those under the grace and mercy of God need not pretend. And, and we are not pretending if the preacher has been sent and has preached the gospel, and if we have heard and have believed, then let our feet and our faces be beautiful. But finally, the necessity of understanding. The Apostle Paul has to deal with something here. Uh, if the preacher has been sent and the, messen- the message has been heard, why are there those who don't believe? Well, the answer is that they have no understanding. In verse 16, Paul writes, But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So here's a point to see that, that things do not change. We live in a different time. But as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there is really nothing new under the sun. Uh, what has been will be again. The problem is, is not that the message is unclear. In fact, Paul even goes uh, back to the proclamation of God's truth in creation he, he quotes from Psalm 19, which we sang to start. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But then he quotes from the scriptures, the, the written word of God, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation and a foolish nation. And by a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Well, the image here, The image here is of children who are being well-fed, but who decide they are dissatisfied with what they are given. But what if the parents take the food, refused by the children, and say, okay, we'll, we'll give it to others outside the home? Granted, the, the children might say, well and good, I don't, I don't like it, I don't want it. But if they get hungry enough, the children might come to say, but that's my food you're giving away. That's my food that you're giving away to others. And, and so goes the prophecy that as Israel rejected their own Messiah, as they refused the grace of God in Christ, so the gospel went out and is now going out to others, even to all nations on the face of the earth. And Paul is noting this, even with anguish in his heart. Not that he resented the salvation of God to all nations, but that so many in Israel refused to believe. So that by the gospel going out to all nations, Israel might yet be awakened to the truth of the Messiah whom they had rejected. Isaiah the prophet 
says, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I'm sure that uh, at some point in every preacher's life, this question comes up. What's the point of this? Where is the fruit? What are we doing here? And Paul's making it clear that even through such seasons of ministry, and they will come, but even through those seasons of ministry, God is doing his work. God is fulfilling his purpose. God is saving those whom he will save. And so Paul also quotes uh, the prophet Isaiah, Lord who has believed our, our message, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? But the answer is that the arm of the Lord is always revealed. The arm of the Lord always does what the arm of the Lord intends to do. It was Isaiah's prayer of frustration and discouragement, and and Paul is noting, um, such is the case in his own day. But Paul also came to see that, that by the grace and judgment of God, so it must be, starting with Israel, there were those who responded to the prophets in repentance and faith, and there were others who did not, with the understanding that they were left to go their way in sin and in unbelief. So in closing, I would just ask you to consider the chain of reaction that we have talked about here. The preacher has been sent. The sermon has been preached. Your ears have heard, at least physically speaking. And it comes down to the necessity of faith. Will each of us repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will each of us recognize our urgent need for him? And perhaps even for the first time, although surely for others, for another time, will we call upon the name of Jesus Christ with the promise that as we do so, we will, you will, I will be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Indeed, O oh God, we, we pray, we call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we might be saved. We thank you for the promise that here is the prayer that will always be granted. Here's the petition that will always be given. We thank you for providing this salvation and even working it in our hearts as we would even now call upon Christ to be our Savior, to have mercy upon us, and to give us his blood and righteousness for our salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.